Hello and welcome to this week's Statsbomb podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. We're back again. I know, running out of topics now, Ted. What the hell are we going to do? You can't do a weekly podcast and run out of topics. Oh my god. Football's Ed. dreadfully boring, so, you know, we'll just drone on about nothingness as usual. <laughs> we survived the international week. We got through that with a mailbag. Check it out if you didn't. Good pod, that. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're back again and with. Uh, more Premier League, it's back and it's happening and lots of interesting things are going on. So we thought we'd rattle through a few topics. I actually spent some time and built some charts, so uh, we might actually like re- actually review some statistics, which would be a novel idea for a, a football and stats <laughs> podcast. And yeah, well, wh- where do you want to start, Ted? You, what, you watched a bit of football this, this weekend and had some ideas. Well, there was uh, the, the very eventful Chelsea-Manchester United match that might be useful. Yeah, um, I saw only bits of that, so uh, you're going to have to fill me in on what you what you thought was uh, useful about that game. Well, I mean, there's a lot of the you know the thing that got all the the press was the the kerfuffle at the end and the 96 minute goal and stuff like that. And that, you know that's fine, but uh, in I thought like there were lots of little battles going on in that that game that were really intriguing and and kind of cool to to analyze. Like so, we know or at least we've heard from the outside that. You know, despite the fact that I think Sari doesn't spend a whole lot of time um, doing corner stuff, they do actually, or if he does, he doesn't do it very well. But they do a lot of other things that I thought were really cool. And um, for whatever reason, Manchester United uh, actually go man-to-man on a lot of their stuff inside the box, which if you're smart uh, on set pieces, like you can usually create mismatches and create space and cause problems. Um, and the... The first goal, I think, was just like a prime example of that. Uh, sorry, the, the Chelsea goal where Rudiger scores. And he score, he ends up open based on the fact that Louise comes over and just sort of sets a, you know, a still pick, uh, stands you know very close to Paul Pogba, and then Rudiger does a basic curl around him. The ball goes into the center of the box. Because United are man-to-man, they don't have any extra cover in the center to, to sort of clear that out. And it's an open header and, uh, and an easy, straightforward goal. And more bad news for Pogba, <laughs> who gets hammered by the by the the, the traditional uh, kind of commentator for not staying with his man. I mean, he got he got tricks, didn't he? But you know, that's that's the question that's on that is like, whose responsibility is it? Mm-hmm. And and that's the hard part from the outside. Um, like, we don't know in that situation what they're supposed to do. It, did he call for a switch uh, with Lindelof, and Lindelof either didn't move? Or did he just, like, get tricked and he's mad at himself? Like, you don't know. And this is kind of the thing that I always get frustrated with people from the outside. Like, you can see he's clearly very frustrated. But you don't know what he's frustrated about. Is he is he mad at himself, at his teammate, again, at this dumb situation because they're man-marking? You know, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's tough to have that level of insight. Um, so, like, you know, Chelsea go one goal up. And then United score, score two more. Um, pretty nice one uh, at one point. Actually, Martial had both the goals, but... The, the Mata one that he kind of skipped forward down the sideline was, was an attractive goal. But the reality of this is, like, Chelsea were fairly dominant through most of that game. Um, United, once again, did not control the volume of shots from anybody. It, Chelsea had 21 shots. Um, and then, you know, the, the very end of it uh, was a Barkley goal, right? So yeah. he's the one that ties it up. And then the celebration in front of Mourinho, and that guy actually got brought up on uh, FA charges, etc. So... It was a. It's just a cool, a cool little matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I thought it was kind of 
fascinating that Marina, who could just so do with that like key win, especially against his old charges, you know, came so close to it, and then you know he got it snatched away from. No wonder he was pissed off, regardless of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> taunting. You know, a winner at Chelsea would have absolutely done done him the world of good uh, for his kind of general uh, general situation that he's in at the moment. Um, yeah, I, th- I think what you're saying about the, the shot thing, like as I say, I only caught a bit of it because I was out, but like you know. <laughs> Twenty-one shots to seven, or whatever it was. It's 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 a typical Mourinho away performance, and they they did things like this against Man City when they beat Man City three-two last season. Um, they only had five shots or something, which was you know, and it's it. Mm, I just don't like my. <laughs> if this is my team. I I don't like them uh, creating next to nothing and just you know pinching results like that I know it's a Mourinho's kind of away from home at a big team method and maybe he feels he has to go that way but it's still it's still not it's just not Man United of old is it really no it's not it's I I don't feel bad for for Man United fans because they had so many years of, of great football but it certainly isn't that anymore uh, one other thing that I noticed on the the set pieces stuff was there was a, a wide free kick where where David Luiz actually got uh, an open header as well, and that happened because United basically marked up all their men, and then Luiz just kind of casually strolls up, you know, looking like he's not doing anything. Hey, nobody noticed me, <laughs> and then uh, and then no one marks him, and he just ends up like on an inside curl on in like the most valuable spot. Um, in because like people just forget to pick him up and like this is a little bit i i don't know I, I, you could look into it and find any number of reasons but it feels like this is a little bit of either coaching laziness which i don't want to say that that or players just twitching off and not wanting to to listen when you know this type of stuff is going on and that kind of you know it backs up the rest of the the story of Mourinho and united this season yeah, it's not it's just not quite not quite ticking at all. I mean, I put up a a funny little chart last night, and late late on, it got a bit of interest. And it's just like the big six versus the rest of the the rest of the league, and the rest of the league versus big six. And literally, Man United are the only the only big six team that isn't annihilating the rest of the league. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, that, they're just the one out the one outlier there. And it is quite it's really in Congress how how strong the big six. I mean, this season is and the other thing I noticed like. Um, Duncan Alexander kind of backs it up. I look back, or the whole Premier League, like how many teams have won seven games after nine? Uh, like normally, I don't in the entire history of football, it's never been more than two teams. And this season right. four, and this season four have won it. So we've got this weird kind of like skew where the the good teams are clearly very good, but also like they're just winning an, <laughs> an unusually large amount of games at this juncture. Like Tottenham won seven games and they're in fifth place. Just all this funny little kind of storyline about like, um, yeah, the big teams, big teams winning even without looking good, which is something that we've seen with both Arsenal and Tottenham. Arsenal, yeah, they good last they time. have not been actually that dominant. It doesn't feel like this should be happening. It's kind of a, a weird cluster of, of victories, and you know, I guess good for them. Like <laughs> not to not to. Uh, Go back to the old days, but I had a quick look at the old PDO, Ted, right? <laughs> Remember that metric from back in the old days? I'm the guy who said PDO's stupid, you should stop writing about <laughs> yeah. it, and it's on our site. So, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, anyway, like uh, all the big five, uh, uh, far from Man United, all the big five are at like ridiculously high rates at the moment. That all probably, well, I mean, they're not all going to stay there. That's the thing. I mean, and then it kind of, you know, it all powers into the little results and. Maybe yeah. we'll see a crazy swoon this year where, like, as they get tired from the Champions League, like, everybody's just going to lose for a, a while, like, into the the November period that often sort of comes to bite. 
and then um and then you hit the christmas period and like things sort of stabilize again but i don't know we'll see it's a it's been a, a slightly funky season uh, unusually dominant the numbers are not unusually dominant except for that one ridiculous team yeah <laughs> we keep going on about that Manchester City have like an expected goal difference of 2.5 right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's just off 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 the charts we can get to that in a minute um you you said something you oh actually we are aren't we and you you said wanted to talk about Burnley a little bit and they have obviously got absolutely uh trounced as everyone does uh, at so Man they City. got tonked this weekend but it didn't f- it felt like that was a bit of a bullshit tonking <laughs> in a way they got mm-hmm. beat 5-0 but like there could have very easily been a red uh, for company in yeah, the beginning yeah. of the match. Um, there was like uh, the ball went over for one of their goals, and also it looked like the referee was going to blow for something. Everybody kind of switched off, and like that was a goal. Um, yeah, a bit of like finishing pixie. At some point, Sane actually could have been red carded as well for like what was sort of a fairly clear violent tackle, and you know it may have been getting getting back at a player who'd been hacking him. But nevertheless, like you can't do it like that. It does you know, usually get carded and sent off. Uh, I have some German friends who are just like, man, the the times that the big teams get away with stuff in in the Premier League, <laughs> it, it's always kind of shocking. Like these were clearly red cardable. At least one of them was definite. Like f- company could have should have been off. Um, but yeah, it seems like occasionally, especially at home, you know, it's a, it's a gift for city and multiple gifts. So I could understand Sean Dyche not being very happy at the end of that. Uh, you know, they lost five nil, but any number of decisions along the way probably should have made that a much closer match. Yeah. It's funny. I think that whole idea about like big teams, big teams get decisions. It probably goes back as long as I can remember. So it's not like, it's not even like a new thing or even like just the Premier League here. I think pretty much it's always been felt there's always been like you know a section of the the watching public that felt that that's the case and um who can tell i mean <laughs> i guess you could do you could do a study on it and it would be interesting but um maybe people have but yeah <laughs> it's it's never never easy to go away to a big team and you know expect to get breaks you know you know you're just not going to happen speaking of away though this round was really odd so there were five home bagels, five home zeros, mm. uh, which is really unusual. Uh, so, like five five of the matches this weekend, like the home team didn't score at all, mm. and uh, one of those was against Liverpool. You know, okay, sure. Watford two nil, uh, Tottenham one nil against West Ham, Brighton one nil against United, and then the the boring South Coast. Not quite Derby because they haven't really been in the league, same league very often, but Bournemouth versus Southampton. But it's like fairly unusual that home teams don't score and then like you know four of them lost outright as part of that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, of, of those games, I think Newcastle were the one one team that could probably feel aggrieved at the fact that they got nothing out of their game. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Newcastle, um, they play a lot of tough games, and um, they, you know, in some regards, they don't look good, but. They they could have turned the corner. They played a good week, good game last week. Who did they play last? Was it Arsenal? I can't remember who they played. Uh, no, 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 no. No, Man United. They played all right against, didn't they? And then the, yeah. the, this week against Brighton, they they shown spluttering signs of life without the results quite com- coming through to to them so far. But but they're still just three points from safety at the moment as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's looking. Someone might someone 
pointed this out. Like, you know, you've got eight teams uh, below the magic point per game mark at the moment. You know, that's yeah, 36. That, that's... So it's not even the old 38, but it's 36. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, the at both ends of the table, it's looking a bit weird at the moment. Well, of course it would. Like, it's it's natural, right? If yeah. the top end is super dominant, then the bottom end is going to look really rubbish. Yeah. I, I did mention that Sean Dyche was offended by that tweet, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think I was just like running my running my eye over some shot numbers uh, last night, and uh, Burnley just looked like but Burnley always do, just giving up so many shots, so many shots, and like you know, the, the natural tendency is just to look at those numbers and say like, this is a bad team, but we've we've. Uh, <laughs> We've been there before, so this is a bad team. But well, James, but there's shame on you. There's a yeah. I mean, there's a few teams you can look at and and create an argument as to this is a bad team. So you know, eight teams won't get relegated. Some seasons it felt like it'd be a good idea if eight teams got relegated. Not we hard. did mention Cardiff still look lively. Yeah, you know, they, yeah. They don't look dead right now, and there are a lot of teams that have considerably worse expected goal difference than Cardiff do. Um, yeah, they got a win, and not only a win, but scored four against Fulham. So on this podcast, some idiot last <laughs> week was like, yeah, fine, I think that Fulham are all right. No reason to panic yet. They can score goals. Look, when you give up four to Cardiff, like, maybe you should panic. Maybe yeah. now's the time. <laughs> yeah, so I think I did see something about, like, the amount of goals conceded. There's only possibly one team, like, in the Premier League era that's conceded more goals than Fulham at this point. So... It's interesting. I was thinking that there's not really been that much talk about, like, apart from Mourinho, about managers departing. And, you know, some of these weaker teams, um, there's, there's a line. There's a line that they'll, they'll eventually go over, you know, like... Um, you know. So the thing that I think is weird, and I, I think it, it sort of lends a lot to the fact that the organization there has been quite happy with him and, you know, he's they feel like he's a positive force. He also got them promoted. But like Huddersfield have had no sign of life for an entire season, effectively, mm. like, at this point, and like there's been no rumbles at all. Mm. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it, it's it's interesting that um, you've got teams. I think Palace are, are vulnerable. Like you know, seeing them seeing them the other night against uh, the other day against Everton, and they're just they're just there isn't much in the team. There's no depth, and they've only played one tough game, and they've got not many points they can't score to save their lives you know Hodgson's had a year he, he their metrics look okay but like I say they haven't come up against the uh, the good teams yet so their metrics yeah. could look significantly worse in a, in a few weeks um, yeah it's 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 interesting but um, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of managers under pressure at the moment and I, I the next month will really kind of just let us see if if that's it, that's the case. You know, if when teams do start getting uh, three, five, seven points away from say seventeenth or you know that, then suddenly it does focus the mind when the millions of pounds start flying out of the window and or the you know, owners can see that. So yeah, and I guess the clustering of the teams at the bottom also makes it so like you can't necessarily tell if you're in trouble, <laughs> yeah. which is another intriguing case. Like you know, if you're if you're making decisions. Like, well, there are a lot of bad teams. So, like, you know, we just need a couple of results and, <laughs> and we'll be in a good spot. And I don't have to pay, like, you know, an extra five or ten million in, in contract payouts and find a new manager, which is probably... So hiring a new coach is one of the hardest things to do in football, especially if, like, you want to progress, if you've got, like, a particular style you want to play, if you've got uh, an idea of, like, how your whole operation should be and you need to find someone that fits into that. Um, 
we help teams do this. It is a lot of work to, to help them out and provide the information. But the traditional way of doing it is actually much harder and much worse. And, you know, you're not guaranteed anything. People will lie to you in job interviews to get a good job. Like it, it happens in normal life. It happens in football. Oh, yeah, I love playing like that. Oh, yeah, my team did that this time. I, you know, we can play that style. And then they get a guaranteed contract. And then suddenly you're like, this is not what we talked about. <laughs> Five four one with a big man up front. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. What the hell? <laughs> well, well, I mean, that, that happens if you out, ha- hire Allardyce, right? Like that's just what's going to happen. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see how all that progresses, but we can come back to that. Now, what have we got now? Spurs, see, we haven't talked much Spurs recently because the results have just spoken for themselves. All is They're well in the so world. They're so boring. <laughs> Grind out a win. Uh, that felt like a bit lucky too. Like, there yeah, were a lot of good shots that Larice saved yeah, in yeah. that match. Yeah, I mean, like there were at least two two very good saves that he made, including a crucial one in injury time. Um what to say about Tottenham? There's there's there's, there's two threads here. Um, I think one, their their numbers just look. <clears throat> I don't really want to say. It. <laughs> I I do wonder after this weekend and uh, maybe an Arsenal looking rather rather good for a for a game. Uh, Tottenham are getting towards <laughs> the zone. Game. <laughs> Tottenham <laughs> getting towards the zone where it's like okay, they're they're riding their. Um, Riding fortune to a degree, uh, much like Arsenal have been riding fortune to a degree <laughs> up to this point. Um, I love the level of small sample size here on the stat show, though. You're like, yeah, Arsenal have looked good for a game. So, uh, <laughs> well, this is thanks, it. James. This is it. I mean, uh, you know, everyone's everyone's uh, you know, signed on, fully signed on to the idea that you know that Arsenal's metrics look horrible, and then they actually put up a decent performance last night against. Like, they did against, against a pretty good team. Which, I like Leicester. Still. Ironically, only kind of rough. Looks like it only kind of roughly matched X, XG about four and against. So you know, <laughs> it hasn't gone the other way yet. They need to put. They need to, they need to um, put up put up all these chances on the goal line and and miss miss more than just the one Lacazette missed for, for the stats to write themselves. But yeah, I mean, it is it is early days. Anyway, um, Tottenham. Yeah, so there's that that side of thing. The other, the flip side of this is they've played six away games out of nine, um, yeah. and they haven't been uh, tough away games uh, for the most part. But they've they've won them. So much like um, Arsenal have been winning without impressing, like Tottenham have got a few fiddly little games out of the way and banked the points, and um, you know they're they're in reasonable shape in that regard. However, the football just isn't. I don't know. It's it's hard to hard to unpick exactly what's going wrong. You you, you can't get away from the idea that central midfield still feels like it's a weird uh, zone that needs uh, clear attention sooner rather than later. Winks was there this week. Like Winks Winks being around is good. Hopefully he doesn't end up in constant pain. Winks Winks uh, divides people. Like the fans love him because he came through the came through the um the ranks. But there's there's was it the cartilage-free captain guys. Um, there's a little subset of Tottenham American Tottenham fans on the on the internet that uh, that would seem to take against Winks this week. And the thing really? is, well, the thing is, he, he's 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 one of these kind of neat and tidy guys, Winks. But it's like, is he re- is he really got the ability to kind of like shut things down, or um, you know, is is he going to be one of these kind of like slightly lightweight midfielders that is only mm, yay good? Kind of like Ryan Mason turned out to be. Um, I think mm. I think we're kind of on the fence as to 
which kind of midfielder he's he's really gonna really gonna come out. I've rarely seen something anything in Winks that made me think like, yeah, this guy is the future. But Ooh, then he's a- I, so I thought that his distribution feels like that, um, and he was able to to sort of put enough defensive work together that I felt like you know before the injury really really positive on him, uh, as opposed to like Ryan Mason, who I watched a lot. Who I compared to, you know, if you put on a T-Rex costume and had a guy go run around a bunch on a football pitch, like that was Ryan Mason to me. That's interesting. I've not really used that analogy in football. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you did you did watch Ryan Mason, right? Like that's that's not yeah. an incorrect analogy there. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but like Wings has been out a long time. He's he's finally kind of clawed his way back into the team, and um, they're they're doing okay. You know, the, the the joy that warms my heart is Eric Lamella having a good time finally for like five years into his Spurs career. He seems to be seems to have hit a, like a hot streak of at least goal scoring form. And just just uh, if you don't if you're not a Tottenham fan, maybe you don't understand quite why Lamella is popular in su- in a subset of a uh, so popular in a, in a subset of uh, the the kind of fan base. And it's he just just doesn't care. He, he just gets stuck into everything. And but, he is our shithead. Yeah, That's, yeah, And and everybody wants one of those. Uh, I'd love Lamella. I have for ages. Like since since the stats were like this kid's are great. Yeah. And then you know watching him in play, um, he scored a header this weekend. Yeah. And well, I was gonna say like we identified this I think a couple years ago where Lamella on set pieces actually is a huge mismatch for almost everybody because he's about six foot one. He's very strong. Uh, he's also fast, and he's he's surprisingly good with his head. Um, so it's he's the type of player that you know I think is is a miserable matchup for most set piece defenses, and uh, and then he's just like scoring it from open play too. Uh, a nice cross from Musa Sissoko. <laughs> yeah, the, the, hmm. some of the chat coming out of that has been hilarious. Like you know, <laughs> Sissoko wants to make a bid for the France squad after literally one good game. But um, <laughs> this is like Arsenal now. Yeah, but like I mean, the thing with Little Meller is he has got this knack for he's got a knack for timing a run into the box, and we've seen it a little bit more in the last uh, kind of six months or so. And um, I think he, he can still just like leave men for dead if if he wants to. He, he he fritters away the ball more often than you want to, and it frustrates you. And you watch him, and you see you see how he lines up, and how he how he looks at the game, how he analyzes what he can do and you think you just want him to do better than than he tends to do and that's probably why he's been a sub quite a lot recently because he you know over kind of last season or so when fit because um he tends to look good in spurts but this form we're seeing now from Lamella is like I say to me heartwarming and <laughs> a, a rare kind of shining light in what has not been the best um, kind of performance run, even though the results have been fine. Ericsson and Ali have missed time. That's not ideal. Yeah, so I mean, you also do have to say that that Spurs are well coached. You know, like they they do a lot of the little things right, and that helps you get results. And and that's true for like most of these top teams that that are grinding right now. Uh, you know, I think I think the Arsenal team are still kind of coming to grips with what Emery wants. Uh, last night's game reminded me a bit of uh, Manchester City in the Mancini days. Mm-hmm. where they would go out and they would really just be a pain in the ass to play against for the first 55, 60 minutes, like be quite physical, get stuck in, but try and be defensive with good shape. And Leicester felt like they had a bit of the best of it in the first half last night. Yeah. And then 
in later in the match what happens is they open up a bit like the opposing team's a bit tired you've got some seriously good technical players that now they have to contend with and and you know if if they're going to give you some space when when guys get a little more tired and leggy that's a really good time to attack Manchini's teams always seem to do that they just seem to turn it on often late uh, he would bring on Jaco who you know was very difficult to deal with you've got elite yaya at that time plus everybody else in there elite aguero as well people don't realize how incredibly strong aguero is despite the fact that he's like five foot seven and he's fast so yeah it was it was a tough matchup for for everybody back when mancini was around they played differently under pellegrini and they play definitely play differently under under pep now but arsenal feel a little bit like that under under emery where they're trying to make sure the game is stable they control it and then they just let the the attackers go yeah, I mean, last night's game was odd because I, I literally tweeted after 25 minutes, just after Leicester scored, I was like, Leicester are a good side. I mean, they look they look really good in that first 25 minutes. And then the commentators curse, or the pundits, or the Twitterers curse. Uh, they literally didn't touch the ball for the next hour, and Arsenal were <laughs> were like extremely dominant. But yeah, the, another thing that went around uh, was like, yeah, Arsenal Arsenal been level at half time, I think, in the last seven games and won them all. So they they. Uh, this is something Tottenham always used to, um, in you know, Pochettino Tottenham was always pretty good at. They'd they'd literally just grind through like you know matches when they probably were the better team, but uh, facing a defensive side, they wouldn't necessarily get an early goal, but they just they just grind through, hold the ball, keep going, keep going, keep going, and then finally somewhere at an hour, seventy minutes, eighty minutes, they'd find a breakthrough, and. This is the team, you know, just to have that patience as as a team, to realise that you know you can, you can actually just be better if you can just be better for longer. <laughs> eventually, the goals may come, and it felt it feels like there's, there's a little bit of that going on with Arsenal at the moment, insofar as they're they're lasting longer than their opponents, and and then you know getting, you know, getting key goals to win matches later on, and that's 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 you know not a bad way to approach things if you can kind of. If you can get the fitness levels of your team up and you've got the talent anyway, then you know that you should get uh, results should follow. Uh, <laughs> of course, we'd like the performance levels to, to match them throughout. But the, those of us who are worried about the future also care about you know what's happening now because it is often predictive of the future, at least in the the near and medium term. Uh, so this is why we use the predictive metrics because like you know the the table lies and the goal difference lies for a bit. Um, yeah, it stabilizes later generally. Uh, that's why we use XG, and hopefully the XG that we have with the goalkeeper stuff and everything else is, is a little bit better. Um, before we move on, I uh, did want to do a shout-out to Connor Cody, who looked like he got gelded off of uh, one of the goals this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, right between his legs, and it was a hard shot. And it's the type of thing where, like, the sumo reaction, where you just retract your scrotum inside of your body. Uh, oh, felt, felt like that would be the immediate thing reaction to that type of thing. But it was a goal, too, right between his legs, so there's nothing that he could really do about it. Yeah, it's your professional obligation to risk... <laughs> <laughs> um, risk permanent damage to prevent a goal yeah. yeah i mean you have to think about it being in professional football for a long time that actually probably happens fairly regularly right like it's not it's not fun but you know balls flying everywhere and uh yeah you do wonder and, yeah how many times like you know someone goes down and stays down and it's like yeah you just take as you know as, as a fellow male you can you can you can understand just a wee clip just a smallest clip and uh, you're staying down for a couple of minutes for sure when so. coaches talk about bravery that's the moment that they're referring to 
that's that's the that's the big deal. Right, should we have a quick look at some metrics? Because like I wasted some time building some charts. Uh, James totally prepped for this today, guys. Like he's got like tons of charts here. It's, it's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Why I prepped is because we didn't have any prep, and it was like, oh bloody hell, we better we better think of something. So yeah, uh, just to fill out some time, uh, just to uh, <laughs> uh, create quality content, I created some charts. So anything you look, I basically grabbed a load of metrics from the from the the back room kind of thing and put them in charts. Was there anything that you saw in these lists that you thought was notable uh, of mention? Okay, so like, can you explain to everybody what the deep progressions metric is? Because I'm not sure that they, they keep up with that. Yeah, it's um, passes and dribbles and carries. So like literally, you know, you're not dribbling past someone, you're just moving the ball whilst dribbling kind of thing. It doesn't, it's, don't worry about it, but <laughs> that's what it is. Into the final third. Um, so you know players that are effective at moving the ball into like dangerous areas and you could uh, cut and slice that how you wanted really um, but you know we've got a kind of general metric that just uh, tells us you know who is actually effective at moving into the final third so the the leader in this stat and it's not a huge surprise based on the volume that he has the ball really is Jorginho yeah. um, now the, the weird the bit the thing about deep regressions is like you're looking at guys that are getting the ball into the final third. It doesn't necessarily mean anything happens with it afterwards. And part of Chelsea's staleness that people sort of like evaluate it as is that he's not really helping them do that next level. And, you know, they don't, again, you need to have the next midfielder set plus the wide forwards plus the forwards be, be on the same page. Um, Shock is second in this metric, which I think people would also find like at least somewhat intriguing. But again, it's what happens in that next stage. The third guy on this was a surprise. <laughs> One of the world's finest midfielders over a decade or more. James Milner. Exactly. There you go. The James. It, it's amazing. Uh, to be honest, the resurgence he's had. Um, like when he went from City to Liverpool on a free and it was just like, oh, well, just, you know, filling out filling out the squad. You know, he's, he's a... He, the absolute definition of honest citizen footballer. You know, just... Will will give you the you know the same kind of seven eight out of ten performance every week without appearing to be a star of the ship. Played left back for a year, you know. It's like I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure he went to Liverpool because he wanted to play some midfield, and then they played him at left back for a year. And now, but he came up as a wide forward, really, or like more a traditional winger. He was great at delivering from wide, and that that role actually practically changed out from underneath him inside of the Premier League over the last 10 years. He's just Mr. Versatile. This is it. He's just, like, good at what whatever he does. Just, I mean, the fact that, you know, Liverpool went out and signed... Well, I mean, they signed, they, they have had to rejig their midfield. We've talked about this um, on the pod. And the fact that he still, you know, started all but one game. Um, and I think he's played midfield in all of those games, hasn't he? So, yeah, so he's played as one of those, you know, kind of three central midfielders. Um, at 32, um, you know, despite Liverpool spending a lot of money on midfielders, and it's really a testament to his 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 levels. And then you start looking at some metric charts, and it's like bloody hell, James Milner. <laughs> yeah, and he really takes care of himself too. Like you've got to give him. He's a world class athlete. He's taking great care of himself, um, and he works his ass off. Uh, we'll talk a little more about the work rate in a bit, but let's stick on deep progressions here. So like this chart is pretty intriguing because you know you expect to see some midfielders in it you expect to see maybe some fullbacks that are progressing the ball um 
with Manchester City, you get defensive midfielders and center backs because teams they pin teams so high up the pitch that their center backs are actually the ones that are making the progressions most of the time. Yeah, and they, and their fullbacks as well. And you got Walker and Mendy are both both on there um, on that list. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's all interesting. Again, you never take one metric and just be like, right, this is this is truth. But um, you know, that just seeing how teams kind of shape shape up. Man, Man, Man City. I mean, I've built these charts, uh, these tables, and it's like, right, I should probably do one without Man City because they keep clogging things up. Um, player I wanted to mention because, I, again, forever underrated to some, to some degree. I don't know what, and I think this is a problem being at Man City because you're always one of about five absolute stars at, at any given moment. So, people, you know, people's praise bounces around in different places. But um, Aguero's so far this season, I mean, if we just look at his xG per ninety, it's close to one. I mean, that's that, and basically. Uh, so we've got Solara second in like point six four per ninety. Uh, that's amazing. You know, he's he's about five shots a game kind of thing, and looking like a lot of good shots at the same time. Um, he's start. I think he started every game, so it's interesting that he hasn't been rotated um, with Jesus quite as much this season. But it would be it would be genuinely great if Aguero went through this season and had. Had the season that was undeniably he was the best player or the best forward in the league, um, because you know there was this thing about him—he's never getting picked for the team of the year. I mean, I know the awards don't mean anything, but you know, for, for sheer consistency, he gets like twenty, twenty-five goals in the league every season, and has been like the spearhead of this Man City team for you know seven or eight years, really. And you know, if you know, age thirty, going you know going into his dotage kind of thing, he he like continued along this vein going forward it would you know be a fine testament to a an absolute you know probably one of the premier league's best ever strikers who never yeah he's like the most underrated great player in in the league that i can remember and i've been playing paying attention to the premier league since i guess 98 um and it, it's he just scores and people think it's it's actually boring because he's so regular right and, and you know the ups and downs and hey, he's on great teams look there have been a lot of players on great teams that don't do anywhere near as well as Sergio Aguero, especially for such a long period of time. Mm. Um, and you remember when you know, there was talk about Pep getting rid of him? Uh, yeah, yeah. Which was like you know, probably nonsense, but we're not sure that it was nonsense. And, and you know, he's still there, and he's the guy that's getting all the minutes, and he's the guy that is crushing the league by like point four. Uh, XGXA per 90. So, like, if you combine a goals and assists, he's like 0.4 ahead of the next closest guy. Almost, that's that's bonkers. That is absolutely insane. And part of it is testament to, to what City do. But, part, you know, a lot of it is testament to him. And he kind of goes alongside with Milner to say that you, you, if you are stats-based, it will seem sometimes that you're almost ageist in that you're like, you shouldn't sign this older player. You should sign this younger player. But... <clears throat> There are plenty of times, actually, where you will happily sign an older, very good player as long as the deal makes sense, right? So Milner comes along and he's on a free. So, like, you know, all of the money's going to him at whatever level. And he's super versatile, which actually adds value to a player because that means that he can fill different slots and, and he works hard and, and that's fine. For Aguero, you know, you don't want to pay like 70 million for him at age 30. 
but like you're very happy to to keep him on your squad at you know a reasonable rate and keep him happy and if he's not starting if he's the type of player that will sort of fill in and 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 you know shuffle around and it doesn't always want to have dominant minutes like he can have a really long career um <clears throat> so yeah i think i think he's been tremendously impressive and coming back around to milner and and kind of the the thing i hinted to before um he is number one in the league in pressure regains uh, so like, you know, when, when he presses, does his team regain the ball shortly thereafter? And then the, the overall volume of pressures is he's also really high too, but like, we're not normalizing that bit by, uh, by possessions. Uh, he's actually just, just in there on a Liverpool team that has a lot of possession. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good point actually. Cause uh, yeah, if you just look at just like the chart of just general kind of pressure volume, cause you know, new, new, uh, new metrics that we're kind of playing with and learning about it is mainly like, I, nicest possible way lesser teams um a couple of cardiff guys like Lee, harry arter and bobby reed lead the, lead the league for like volume of pressures um and it's mainly lesser teams and then you have got firmino and milner Mane, bernardo silva on the in the kind of the top 20 there and then that's it from the you know from the top team so you know having these guys having these you know useful guys that will like put in an absolute shift despite the fact that they've got you you've got the ball most of the time these are you know valuable types to to you know filter into your your already decent team and again like you say Milner is someone that shows up again there so the Arsenal numbers aren't in this from last night yet um but let's talk about the creators who I love and never get enough respect like the, so when when I was doing the early theory work on the site, you know, I kind of talked about the key pass as uh, as like Schrodinger's shot, you know, like it has set up a shot. You don't know the necessarily the value of the shot or the outcome of the shot, but like a key pass to me was something that was like really unveiling things that were important. And there are different types of key passes. You could be really good at set pieces and delivery, and that actually is a different skill set than being good at open play key passes to set up you know your your teammate shots it's like a hugely valuable thing though and guys that create a lot of assists often you know are are undervalued or had been undervalued historically um so in this in this list it's actually kind of intriguing and it again doesn't always have the names you expect to see on there Mesut Ozil is not on this list well it's <clears throat> it's limited to 500 minutes this list i did i said poss- oh, okay. possibly I'm not sure if he's got enough minutes to be on it, but he, yeah, after last night, <laughs> after last night, he may, he may, uh, some be, pretty good chances created last poking night, his nose but, but he's had it, but this is the thing. He's had a quiet season. I saw a chart earlier. Oh yeah. He's, uh, he's got 592 minutes. I'm not sure why he's not on that list. doesn't matter. Um, cause he hasn't been great at doing this thing. He hasn't sort of, he, he, I think finding a role for Mesut has been hard up until last night. Literally, yeah. Literally. I think last night was the first time we've, we've seen what we understand as the, the, world-class player Mesut Ozil uh, in an Arsenal shirt this season so you know if you can if you can kind of nail him down doing that more often than not then you're good but small question mark about consistency just because he hadn't found his feet until yesterday in in this kind of Emery lineup Uh, David Silva's first on the list again by a lot tells you about City but Roberto Firmino being second on that list at like 0.34 per 90 that's actually quite intriguing. And I think Roberto Firmino almost has his own role that that feels like I mean, I'm sure other people can say that they're you know, they've they've this role has existed elsewhere. But it feels like Firmino is fairly unique in how he plays it, which is that he's a center forward, but he doesn't necessarily score that many goals. He progresses the ball a lot, and he's good at setting up his teammates. And then he's 
po quite possibly the best pressing uh, attacking player in the league, and and in some cases by some distance. I'm tempted. To, we should get. We should really hype this. I mean, I don't think this is. I don't think this is unknown. But you know, Roberto Firmino is he? Is he like Moussa Dembele? Is he, are you just not going to find another Roberto Firmino? Yeah, it's he might be a unique player profile, and if if he were not there at Liverpool, uh, you know, how would you go about finding the next one? It's almost like Naby is is practically the closest person to him, and Naby's an actual midfielder. I'm <laughs> yeah, not yeah. sure that Naby has like the ability to have the strength and hold up play that Firmino does, which he does. So yeah, it's it's pretty unusual, and we kind of come along and and see these profiles, and we've got a lot of data at this point. And, and there's just some guys that, that, that are totally unusual. Nabi Keita was totally unusual. Bobby's totally unusual. Uh, Musa Dembele is a midfielder. Totally unusual. They're good to find these ones. They're, they're kind of they're, they're fun, and they, they tend to yeah tend to tend to be useful for your team when you can stick stick someone who does like you. Again, like versatility um, in regard role is useful. Versatility within a role yeah, is is even more useful. Probably you know if you can get a guy that that has. Uh, funny, I was watching Vardy last night, and you know Vardy is Vardy. That's what he is. What he is. Um, but he literally just does the one thing he does well, which is like sniff out chances, and you just don't get much else out of him. And this this is the thing, you know, a very one-dimensional player who has been very effective at uh, the one thing he does over a course of time. Um, someone like I think as his career. Like even in maybe this next year, like you, you need to move him towards being a a sub. Like he he can be an elite sub for a really long time, especially with the pace that he has. Yeah. But you need somebody generally in the modern game that probably has a bit higher work rate and a bit more of a full skill set. Well, that's an interesting point because um, it's this did cross my mind yesterday because Schmeichel and Vardy were the only two starters from their titles season last night, and. Obviously, Schmeichel's probably fine. He's he's not too old yet, and pretty decent, competent keeper. We think. Um, but Ooh, maybe we'll talk more about that next week. <laughs> but Vardy, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, I think he, had, he made two passes in the first half last night. I mean, the only pass he completed in the whole game was maybe in his own half, and that and it and it was like as Arsenal came on strong and overpowered Leicester. You know, you're sitting there thinking like Leicester are playing with ten men in a way. <laughs> It's the old Defoe effect, uh, you know. It's 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 okay if you can get some goals out of them, but if they don't score, these kind of uh, you know on the kind of shoulder of the centre centre back uh, pacey kind of finisher types, they the balance of what they bring to, against what they what you, you lose from your team by having them is a is an intriguing question. And uh, yeah, and it, yeah, football's completely a game of trade-offs like there's one Messi there's one Ronaldo there are very few other players that that have like sort of these well-rounded skill sets like Ronaldo's skill sets fairly unique as well you don't see guys that are that fast that are also as amazing in the air and and sort of I don't know if he developed into it but he became the best header of the ball in an attacking sense of anybody like he's just amazing at that thing and that, that helped power all of the extra goals that he got from from being awesome but like for most players across almost any team 
Like you have to make trade-offs and, and this guy isn't quite as good as this. And sometimes those trade-offs are even in the locker room, you know? You're like, all right, we'll take on a guy that's a bit of an asshole because we don't have any other assholes. So we think we can kind of keep him in check and he, he offers all these other things. But there are other times where you're like, look, we can't deal with this type of stuff and we need to keep our group together. And I mean, it probably happens too much, but like, yeah, that's that's definitely the, the other balancing point. You just say that and the first thing that jumps to mind is Licksteiner. <laughs> It's like yeah, Arsenal needed a bit of grit, so they got yeah. they got Lechsteiner of all the players, and uh, that was that was that. Uh, so look, I I hated this guy for the longest time because um, he just is a shit houser and he never played on any team. I mean, it's also easy to root against Juventus, right? Like it's easy rooting against the, the Yankees or like the Mourinho era Chelsea. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now that he's our asshole, I'm all right with it. And actually, I totally love Deli Alley and and Lamella. I, I'm not a Spurs fan, but like that type of thing where like they are, they get stuck in. They've got some style about them, but you know they're physical players as well. Like that kind of fits the, the Eric, mold. Eric I'm Dyer in the England game, like plowing through. <laughs> I mean, like, who can't like that? You know, from from a kind of neutral perspective, knowing Ramos as well. You know, he he really put one in for 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 men, not not just England on the on the night, but for for many many people, including probably Liverpool fans. James, uh, you did forget to mention this when you're talking about the greatness of Sergio Aguero though go on who's the third XG leader in the league oh god where's my chart <laughs> it's Danny Ings at Southampton Ings there we are see he's sandwiched between Mo Salah and Raheem Sterling the guy who isn't very good and can't finish apparently St- Southampton are taking lots of shots um, yeah. but, but scoring none of them yeah, <laughs> uh, it was so interesting little thing there because the the kind of outcome looks like um, what you'd expect if you had a negative uh, viewpoint of Mark Hughes as a Premier League manager, whereas some of the process maybe I might be being a little bit kind here maybe looks like that's not so bad, but they haven't. Scored, I don't think they've scored for something like four games in a row, wasn't it? which <laughs> it does kind of lean towards the. Not a high opinion of Mark Hughes' uh, analysis, rather than that actually they're okay. But yeah, I mean, they may they may skew skew forwards at some point. Uh, yeah, it's it's just intriguing. I I didn't expect that, uh, especially given how few goals they score. Uh, but like Southampton are kind of like on a longer term issue with this, right? Like they they've mm. gone years for yeah. not really scoring as many goals as you think they might. Yeah, it, I think I think it's literally three seasons and three different managers. Um, in the which, opposite of Lucien Favre. Yeah, in which in which you look at their numbers and you're like, this team's fine, and then you look at their outcomes and it's like, mm, that's not very nice. Um, so yeah, really, just oddness. I mean, yeah, maybe someone said something about this like uh, not that long ago about you know when you have a variety, you know, a larger and larger data set, you'll eventually find an outlier one way or the other. Like you know your fathers or uh, maybe Sean Dyche, and. You really want to explain them and say why these things are happening, and that might be right, but there's also just that little percentage chance that this is just an odd team in the data set, and life life is like that. So all interesting questions around that. Um, uh, one more thing before we, we kind of wrap up. So Aguero, there's a XGXA. It used to be just goals and assists. Like We call it scoring contribution from way back in the day. But Aguero is topping an XGXA by a lot. But then there's Salah, 
at 0.88 per 90. Uh, David Silva at 0.80 per 90, which is kind of impressive because like you don't think of him as scoring as many goals as you would need to be at the top of that list. <coughs> Raheem Sterling is fourth. Eden Hazard is fifth. But then sixth and seventh are pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got Callum so, Wilson like, at Bournemouth. Callum yeah. Wilson at Bournemouth, who, who's, you know, he's had terrible issues with, with knee trouble, but he looked like he was going to be a top, top forward for a long time. Nice to see him recover. And then Ings is right there, just above Bobby Firmino. Yeah. So, again, you know, Wilson's... It's funny, Wilson and Defoe, like, if you if you kind of profile them across their style, they're like a variety of metrics, they look really similar. Like, so, but... Except that Callum Wilson actually sets up shots for his teammates this year. <laughs> well, this is it. It feels like he might have... He's, he's either... He's having a slightly better year this year, and obviously Defoe spent more time in the Sky Sports studio than... Um, than on the pitch, but um, yeah, it's it, him is general good performance is certainly powering some of Bournemouth's um, fine start. If you haven't looked at Sassbon this week, uh, Mo had a piece up to yesterday on Inter, and I have a piece up today talking about Sassbon uh, as a CEO. I put my CEO hat on, fairly unusual for me. Um, and talking about like what we've done over the last year, which has been a lot, <laughs> and, and what we're going to do in the coming year, which hopefully is also a lot, and maybe even like a multiple of a lot. I'm, yeah, you know, having worked here for a while, I I reckon we'll do a lot, Ted. <laughs> I know, uh, I know how it works around here. <laughs> the reason why I mention it is that there's a teaser towards the end talking about something that we're pretty sure is going to happen next May, and you guys are invited, so maybe want to check that out. Um, and then, you know, I think last week we ran our first piece on the, the Scottish football data that we've been collecting in the Premiership. That was a really big piece and a really cool breakdown. Um, so, like, all that's in there. Yeah, we're looking and... to do that, aren't we? Looking to, you know, we've got data for a variety of leagues and looking to, you know, create some coverage around those leagues, you know, so, like, lesser, lower league in uh, in the England in England and maybe elsewhere. So, if you're ever looking for free data as well, check out the Resource Center on statsbomb.com. We've got the World Cup 2018 data out there, and we also are updating the FAWSL weekly. So there's women's data out there. We've got some NWSL data as well uh, from the American League earlier in the season. And I think that's about it, James. We, we've, we've survived another week. Yeah, we got through it with... Uh... <laughs> With excellent planning from the start, we've got up. <laughs> we've done a podcast, so there we go. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.